Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to a really exciting episode of the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. We are so excited to dive into a totally new topic here on the podcast, gardening with the one and only Farmer Nick. I have been following him on Instagram, which is so beautiful, by the way, and have loved seeing his tips on caring for plants, the plant-based style. And as a gardener myself, as as a novice gardener myself, I just had so many questions to ask him. Yeah. And if Tony's the novice gardener, I'm the like Pinterest fail picture. (laughs) I try to grow that is just sad and wilting and dying or I'll forget to water. So um, this is really fun having an expert gardener, Tony, who's gotten into it so much this year. It's been so fun to watch and to be on the receiving end of a lot of the food that you grew in your garden that you drop off at my doorstep. Oh my gosh, it's been amazing. So we're so excited for this dode. Yes, I, Michelle is not joking. I went from one garden bed and two fruit trees. Now I have 10 fruit trees and eight or nine garden beds in my little tiny itty bitty space. So I'm I'm really needing this episode and I can't wait to dive in it with Nick. Yeah, I am nowhere near that yet, but I've got two fruit trees planted and I tried to grow tomatoes this year and we'll share how that went in the episode. Michelle, which which fruit trees do you have? I have a Meyer lemon and a nectarine. Oh yeah. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to fruit share. Yeah. All right. On, On to the episode. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. We are excited too. So I am one of the people who got really into pandemic gardening. And I know Michelle (laughs) tried her hand at it too. (laughs) Failed. (laughs) And wasn't as successful as she'd like. And so it actually made us want to bring an expert on who is very familiar with growing food and container gardening and how to plant, when to plant, all of these really important things when planting your garden. I know one mistake that Michelle made that is very easy to make for a novice is that she planted really late from seed mm. and uh, the growing season had had passed. So uh, if if you don't know, then it's so easy to make those mistakes. <laughs> and, and so I just, I love to dive in a little bit deeper into that. But first, can you tell us who you are? Uh, I know that you are a fantastic gardener, but where are you and how did you become plant-based? No, thanks so much, Tony. I appreciate it. And thank you, Michelle, also for having me on the pod today. It's I've been big fans for a while and I'm glad we're able to, to sit down and connect here. So hi everyone. My name is Nick Katsumpas, also known as Farmer Nick NYC on Instagram, although I am now actually in Los Angeles. Uh, just moved here uh, about towards the end of the summer during the the initial quarantine. And my plant journey uh, started actually in my parents' backyard. I literally was just growing whatever seedlings and seeds I could find. After I graduated from college, I was living rent-free. And my mom said, you have to do something around the house if you're going to live rent-free. Like You cannot just skate by. You got to do something productive. And she actually suggested I I start a garden because I had been a college athlete. I 
was a personal trainer, very into my health, wellness, nutrition, food. And what started as a summertime hobby just became an obsession. And each year the garden just grew more and more robust. And it was from that point where I realized, wow, you know, not only is this fun for me and fulfilling and just cathartic, but I'm developing a greater appreciation for the environment. I'm developing a greater appreciation for the freshness and the flavor that you get that you don't, you know, receive in a traditional food system where you're relying on grocery stores and food traveling 1500 miles to get to you. Right. So that really led me to this understanding of if I can grow as much of my own food as possible and support local farmers who can do this even better than I can, there is no reason I can't then make the jump to a fully plant-based diet. So I went plant-based uh, as, a, as a vegetarian um, in 20, I want to say 2018, and then was full vegan for the last year and a half now. So cool. And you said you were living with your parents. Were they on board? (laughs) (laughs) So I had had just left the house by the time I was ready to make the jump. And to be honest, they, when I come home, they love the plant-based meals I make. And it's gotten to the point where like, my mom says, listen, you know, I'm, I'm not going to cook two meals. If you're going to cook your own stuff, cook your own stuff. And then I cook my own stuff, you know, serving size for me, and then they're digging into it and I'm left with nothing. So it can be very competitive at the dinner table. (laughs) I feel like that's the greatest parenting hack that your mom had. It's like teach your child or encourage your child to grow their own food. Then they'll be inspired to cook and then you won't have to cook for the family anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's funny how it worked out. I mean, my earlier, before the pandemic even started, my mom actually was recovering from surgery and I was in charge of cooking for the whole family. Uh, me, my dad, uh, and my sister was still at college, but the three of us. And I was like, okay, if you're putting me in charge, we're going vegan. And so they were vegan for a full, you know, three weeks. And then at, you know, pretty much day 21, my dad was like, all right, like, can I please, can I do something else? And I was like, all right, fine, but you've got to cook it. Um, so it was a, a good experience for them to at least experience it. That's awesome. That's funny. My friend actually, she does that with her husband. She said, you can eat me if you want to cook it. Uh, But then he's cooking this whole piece of meat just for himself because everyone else in the house is vegetarian. Uh, Mm. But it it makes it so that he can eat what he wants, but likely he won't because he doesn't want to put in the effort. Never okay. under, underestimate someone's laziness when it comes to cooking. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> okay, so what were you eating bef- beforehand? What were you, what did your parents raise you up eating? And were you into fast food or was this a, an easy change for you? You know, uh, I think it was easier for me than most because my mom was such a fantastic chef growing up and everything was centered around the vegetables, right? We still had meat, right? But it was mostly lean meats. It was uh, chicken. It was uh, different forms of seafood and salmon, very rarely red meat, if at all. Um, Very kind of Mediterranean diet. My family is Greek. Um, My mom is Jewish and he really adopted a lot of the Greek styles of cooking. And that diet in general is not super meat heavy, um, aside from, from the holidays. So 
I always was surrounded by a fresh salad at the table every single night. And really when I got to college is when it became a little bit more meat focused because I was playing baseball. And so many of my, my teammates were like these, you know, meat and potatoes kind of guys. And obviously I ate healthy, but like when I can go to the dining hall and I could get six chicken breasts for lunch, you know, I was going to do it because I was under the, the protein myth, which many athletes, personal trainers, people who just like working out are under. And, you know, I was the one kind of, and I'll be honest, I was making fun of the the meatless Monday people. And I was like, oh, who would ever do that? And um, it wasn't until I, I remember the turning point specifically, I watched Cowspiracy. And this was after having spent, you know, three, four years gardening now. And I'm sitting there looking at myself. I'm like, everything about my values and my passions centered around the environment and being such an animal lover, this, this, this one thing doesn't make sense about who I am. And it is the easiest thing for me to control. And I just said, all right, that's it. I'm just, I'm not doing it anymore. And it started in stages. As I said, I was more vegetarian and then I was, you know, being at home. And if I went out, I'd be vegetarian. So I was more of a, as I called it, a socially convenient vegan for my friends. Um, but once I made the, the jump a year and a half ago, that, that was it. It's interesting to me that, well, I guess not interesting. It's obvious when you think about it, but it reminds me of the importance now that I'm a mom of modeling good examples with food for my own kiddo. I grew up with um, also a mom who was very health conscious and while not at all vegetarian or vegan, she did like, I, I didn't grow up around fast food. It was like a very healthy table, traditionally standard American healthy version of what she thought was healthy on the table. And it made it so much easier, easier for me to go vegetarian and ultimately plant-based. And my husband's the opposite. He grew up in Ohio, meat and potatoes, all of Mm. the just standard American diet, fast food, cheese on everything. And it's so hard for him still today. We've both been vegan for like 14, well, I've been vegan 14 years and he's been vegan more than 10. I don't know. Um, But it's still a difference today for, for me being able to eat healthfully so much more easily than him. Um, yeah. So those early days are so important. Okay. So yeah. I, I want to talk about gardening because I'm obsessed. I just saw a meme that spoke so true to my heart, which was Ralph from the Simpsons being kicked through a window into a house. And there's like, shards of glass flying everywhere. And the top said, my kidnappers throwing me back after listening to me talk about plants for two hours. That is <laughs> so me. That is totally me. All I want to do, my poor husband just has to listen to me talk about growing food. I'm in the process of redoing my backyard. And mm. and it, it reminds me of, I, I'm I scrolled back all the way to your early days of Instagram, your first few posts, and you showed in 2017, you showed a picture of the progression of your garden. And what I loved about it is that it was just a plot of dirt and you put up some um, brick, you know, that I I don't know what it's called, but it's the kind that's like rounded a little bit. the, The scallops. Yes, the scallops, the scallops, and you put them around in little beds uh, directly into the ground, and you could get those at Home Depot for not that much money. I imagine they're a couple, maybe 
a dollar to two dollars each brick, maybe. Uh, yeah. So I, I loved that it wasn't this really elaborate design. And I'm sorry if I'm being, uh, if I'm like <laughs> watering down your your beautiful master plan, but it it looked like something that I could do if I wanted, not having a lot of knowledge or um, brute strength to, uh, to and tools to put something really elaborate together. I could do what you did for your first garden. Absolutely. A- anyone could, could do that if they have just a small plot of land. I mean, I, it's funny, that specific space in my backyard, uh, we had a tree there originally and we lost it during Hurricane Sandy. So we had never planted grass over it. So it was kind of bare. So it was almost meant to be in a way. Um, and yeah, I literally, you know, I didn't think this would become this passion that I would spend, you know, seven years working on. So I just said, Oh, I'm just going to take a couple steaks, put it in the ground, throw some chicken wire around it and call it a day. And each year I wanted to make it bigger and, you know, was just starting out my career, not wanting to spend a ton of money on a place I wasn't going to be living in the future. Um, but in those three years, it really did evolve. And, you know, (laughs) I, I always joke that it doesn't have to be pretty to taste good. Um, and that applies in in many different facets of gardening and and plant-based eating. So yeah, I, I highly encourage anyone to kind of get out there and try and just be a little more handy and, and make as simple a structure as you can. And what about container gardening? Have you ever, have you ever grown food in a container because you had limited space? Yes. I love container gardening for for so many reasons. Uh, Number one is that it's mobile, right? So you're able to collect these terracotta pots or ceramic, whatever whatever you're using and mix it up in your designs. And, oh, this area, this tree got bigger since last season. Now I can move it somewhere else that's maybe sunnier. Um, You can also directly control the quality of your soil. And I cannot stress this enough. This is so important. So many people babysit their plants. I argue babysit your soil because the foundation of healthy, delicious plants starts with high quality soil. And each plant is going to require a different mix. For example, um, if you're growing lettuces, you want something that's going to be a little sandier with bigger soil particles versus something like tomatoes, which can handle a little bit more of that clay compaction uh, because it holds more nutrients. So depending on what you're growing, you can really customize what kind of soil mix you're using and therefore optimize your growth. So containers are perfect for that. Okay. So uh, I want to talk more about that, but I think we should go even more basic. When I started my first garden, it was, I, I had, I moved into a duplex and it had this garden bed there and I didn't know anything about soil. I didn't know anything about when to plant. I just bought some seedlings at Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart or something, and then put them into the ground right when I bought them. And and now that I am mixing my own soils and things like that, I I wonder how I've been able to make food grow just with what I had. So is it, can we encourage people to use what they already have if, if they don't have the means or resources to go above and beyond and start mixing your own soil and testing your pH balance and all of that? 100%. And I think depending on where you live, there's actually, there's different maps. 
um, uh, based on your growing zone. And your growing zone is typically built around your uh, average last frost date and first frost date to, to determine what can grow there and handle those temperatures. But a lot of those maps also show you what kind of soil your region has. So if you go and look at those maps, you can kind of figure out, okay, I'm dealing with this kind of soil. You can even go in your backyard and do a soil test and, and take soil from different areas and put it in a test tube, shake it up and let it kind of sift out so you can see the different layers. And depending on how it's uh, broken down between clay, silt, sand, even bigger soil particles, you can kind of figure out, okay, this is what might be best. This is a sandy loam. This is more clay-based. My backyard was actually very clay-based. So you can work with what you have and you can then buy amendments to that soil. So if I know that it's very clay-based, I want to kind of loosen it up. I can get sand. I can get some of these other particles that will kind of break up the soil and enhance and augment what's already there. By no means do you have to go out and buy, you know, so many cubic feet of, of fresh bags of soil to, to get your garden going. And in many areas, you can actually send your soil in for a test. Uh, I know in New York, uh, the Cornell Ag Extension has different, um, different setups throughout the, the state. And you can even mail your soil and then get a soil reading coming back a couple weeks later. So it's pretty cool. Well, that is cool. I, I want to try that. Is there something that I could do at home? I have somebody like myself wants to test my soil without having to go to the post office and all of that. Is there a kit that I can buy or is it something yeah. that has to be done professionally? No, no, it's super easy to do. You can, I mean, you can go out to pretty much anywhere to get a, a like a pH test, um, which is just going to, you want to be between six and seven. Most plants are not going to want anything lower than that unless you're like blueberries, which love acidic soil. Um, but in general, you can get a pH test. You can just get a little test tube put a little water in there with dish soap, put in your, uh, your soil, shake it up, let it sit for a couple days. And then you can start kind of seeing those different breakdowns and that'll tell you exactly what kind of soil, soil you have and what you might need to add to it. Uh, to, to add to that, I've found YouTube to be incredibly helpful in finding what plants like, what kind of soil, which plants like, which kind of soil and blueberries, for example, I have four blueberry plants in a container and I just typed in blueberry, how to plant blueberries. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it really is so helpful. I know it sounds really basic, but as the super, super beginner trying to grow food and failing person here, um, I, it is the soil that always gets me to say, all right, I can't do this anymore. Here's what happens. I'll say, okay, I'm going to grow some tomatoes. I get some seeds. I Let's say I plant them at the right time. Awesome. I'll head to Home Depot or even look online trying to find a soil that's appropriate for that food. But then I'll look at the ingredients and they have bone meal and char and all and blood meal and everything in it. And I and the ones that don't are not organic and they're full of chemicals. And I'm just, I get so overwhelmed of the hundreds, it seems like, of brands of soil that they have at these places. I end up leaving, not getting any because I don't know what the right answer is. So do you have any recommendations for people starting out with like the basics, maybe growing lettuces or tomatoes or whatever? What do you recommend? Yeah, it, it can be really tricky, right? And, and people sometimes don't realize that, you know, your, your plant-based diet also extends to your plant-based life. And that can be challenging for some folks because there's a lot of products as a consumer that we might need to avoid. 
Um, honestly, it, it's something that I've really struggled with. But um, to be to be fair, there's a lot of other methods, although slower, which can help you augment your soil and achieve the same kind of nutrient balance that you're looking for. Um, so, so one of those things is composting, right? It's something that you know, as especially as a vegan, I have tons of compost all the time. And if you're a homeowner, being able to mix your uh, what they call the green compost, your food compost, with your brown compost, your yard waste, all that, getting just a simple, uh, you can get a compost bin that turns, get one that's stationary if you're willing to kind of turn it yourself with a pitchfork. Doing that is such an easy way to create really quality compost that doesn't have any animal products in it. And you can use that at the beginning of each season to augment and really kind of refill those nutrients. Because the analogy that I like to use is that your soil is like, the, the grocery store for your plants. And the plants are going to that grocery store each season. And if they're running out of food at the grocery store, your plants are not going to be able to grow. So you want to be able to augment in a safe way for, for those plants that you're planting. Uh, the second thing you can do, which is uh, a little bit longer, but a really cool method that a lot of regenerative farmers use is something called cover cropping. And basically what that means is it stems from this idea that the soil should never be bare even in non-growing times. So in New York, obviously there's a period of four months where I'm not growing anything that I'm really going to eat. But if I planted things like clover and rye, wheatgrass, whatever it might be that are going to be putting nutrients back into the soil, nitrogen fixation, putting all of those good things back into the soil, there's a better chance that I'm not going to need to go buy anything supplemental that will have some of those animal products in it. So there's a few ways around it, but it just takes some patience. Mm-hmm. Totally. And can you talk a little bit about what happens when you are using the wrong type of soil? Like let's say someone just goes to Home Depot, picks up the most generic brand they can find. Maybe they add in some compost, maybe they don't, but if they're not like measuring the soil and really calculating based on their like zones and all of that, is it possible? Is it worth doing? Or are you more likely to lose plants and end up losing time and money? Like, do you really need to do it right if you're going to do it? I guess is my question. That That's a great question. And to be honest, I, I think it's simpler than we make it out to be. Uh, you know, yes, we've talked about things that you can really use to fine tune your soil. But when I first started, I was going out and buying miracle Grow soil, which I would never buy again. They're Monsanto-owned doing a lot of negative things for the environment. Um, and I've since learned my lesson in that regard, but I still had a thriving garden. Mm-hmm. And I think that we sometimes coddle our plants too much and we don't realize how resilient they can be. Um, so, you know, I know, Tony, you mentioned going out to Home Depot and buying those seedlings and doing this versus starting from seed. I was that guy. <laughs> and I would go out there and I still sometimes if I have extra space in the garden, we'll run out to the local nursery and pick up seedlings. There's nothing wrong with that. But soil at the end of the day is soil and you're going to grow something. Will it be the top yield and the highest quality plant that you can have? Maybe not, but you're still going to have some general success with it. <laughs> awesome. I had three to- three cherry tomatoes on my tomato plant this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brutal. That's funny. <laughs> She she started hers while I was pulling mine out. I don't think that's oh, what it was though. I just go. I think I didn't I don't know, overwatered, underwater, I, something. A lot of things were probably wrong, but I'm glad so, to know so what you tomatoes, can do. Yeah. Yeah, tomatoes are tricky, right? And in New York, you know, if I were to start tomatoes by seed in New York, I'd have to start them inside. 
because uh-huh. our growing season was basically from kind of like we, the rule of thumb was like mid-May around like Mother's Day. And then you start your planting. So I would have to start my tomatoes in like February inside if I mm. wanted to plant them outside in May. And that's a lot of effort. And if you don't have the room or the grow lights or the warmth, it can be really, really challenging. Um, that said, I, I still think even in you know a, a West Coast climate, which can be a little bit better and more forgiving depending on where you are, uh, timing is still really important. And looking at those zones and developing kind of your own either internal seed calendar or using a spreadsheet like many of my friends do, including myself, you'll be able to figure out, okay, this is tomato season now, and now I can do my leafy greens and start to get really organized and in rhythm with nature. And there are, there are a lot of really awesome resources. Uh, if you are interested in gardening, you can find your local Facebook group. I typed in Sacramento gardening group and have learned so much. There are master gardeners in our Facebook group who are incredibly helpful and provide really reliable resources and have introduced me to good books to check out. And, um, the UC Master Gardener system that has a planting calendar for you. So if you are unsure of your growing zone, it it they they looking into your local Facebook group will point you in the right direction and help you find what you need to be as successful as possible. Absolutely. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about soil and container gardening. But what about composting? You mentioned that earlier. And it's something that I'm getting really into. It's a a way that I, so far, without having any knowledge, uh, have been able to feel good about not contributing food waste to the landfill. And I've also been uh, shredding a lot of... um, like brown paper that I get in the mail. So if I get a package, then I can shred it and put it in with my compost. And what I'm doing is trench composting. So I'm, I'm just planting it directly into the soil where I'm going to plant my garden in the spring. But what kind of compost do you do? So it's a good, good question. And I love the trench method. Um, and don't be surprised if you end up with a few rogue seeds that have germinated in your garden (laughs) afterwards, that tends to happen. Um, but for me right now in LA, uh, I don't have brown waste because I'm living in a house where everything is managed. There's no real yard and the landscaping crew that is here, the, the landlord has them come, they take that away. So I'm not able to get the true, uh, ratio of that four to one brown to green that I would need to create my own compost. That said, I use a fantastic service here in Los Angeles called Compostable, where I will take my food scraps each week. I will put them in. I have a little caddy that I keep in my kitchen, which is super helpful when I'm meal prepping. And then once a week, every Thursday, actually. So I just put it out today. I have a little bin from Compostable, put all my food waste in there, and then they will come pick it up and give me a fresh bin and they will compost it properly and then redistribute that to the community gardens uh, throughout Los Angeles. So it's a really, really cool service. That is is really cool. I think that we have something like that here in Sacramento. And I also think that you can bite your soil back. So it can turn, like, they'll pick it up for a small fee. Oh, that's awesome. And then you can buy that back from them as well, which, which 
which is awesome if you don't have the space to compost. I know that for us, it was a huge consideration, which is uh, why I'm right now putting it directly (laughs) into my garden beds. Okay. Uh, Well, I think I have exhausted my questions. I feel so grateful that you are sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience. Is there anything you have to say to new gardeners? Oh, to new gardeners, I would say do not be afraid to plant and overplant your garden. It is a, a common sort of, I don't want to call it a mistake for early gardeners. They tend to overplant in general, but I think that the more experience you have planting and the more plants that you see, the easier it is to kind of understand their growth patterns, right? So obviously I don't want you to, you know, put 10 tomato plants in one container, right? Follow the directions as much as you can. But if you want to plant something and you think you have the time to do it, buy another terracotta pot, find another area of your garden. I was constantly just digging out areas of my parents' backyard, trying to find new places to the plant. And to the point where my dad was like, you have to stop. Like, we're not going to have a yard anymore if you keep this up. But just try and experience as much of it as possible and plant according to the season. Try your cool season leafy greens. Um, Transition into your, your summer plants, like your tomatoes, your squash, your cucumbers, and then get prepared for the similar cool weather in the fall. So plant as much as you can, learn as much as you can, and take notes. That's funny. I have a I have a notebook where I I take note of all of my uh, how long it took my seeds to germinate, uh, when I planted a tree, when I planted a <laughs> a, a successful plant, how long it took to mature. So I that is a really good tip. And then I, I want to go on. I was just, I have a few more questions about like functionally setting up a garden for anyone who's listening who like me is so brand new. I remember when I learned, I think from Tony, that you have to replant your garden every season. I was like, what? I thought <laughs> you set up a garden bed, you put in soil, you plant your seeds or your plants or whatever, and they are there for the for years. That's what I thought. Um And so then the idea of, okay, this is only one season and then you pull out the tomato plant that's not even a year old. Um, It's it's all new to me. Can you just like walk through what a garden bed looks like in a maybe one year life cycle, how that goes? When do you have to replace the soil? Like what basics should people know? It it totally depends on your area, right? In, In New York, it was going to be a much different experience than than down here in Southern California. But in general, there will be transitions in your garden. For example, I would never want to plant a tomato plant uh, earlier than mid-May in New York, just because if there's a risk of frost, I might actually lose that plant entirely. That Mm -hmm. said, if I plant it in May, I'm going to let that sucker go as long as it can produce. And I was getting tomatoes into November one season. Um, So don't think that just because the calendar says, oh, I have to transition my garden means you have to remove those plants. Um, I I think in general, uh, a key is trying to leave as much of the ground uh, unbroken as possible. And what I mean by that, uh, there's this concept in in gardening that's really taken off because of Charles Dowding, who's a famous uh, gardener in the UK, who talks about no-till gardening. And this is the idea that if you have as 
the, the least amount of soil breakage and interrupting what you'd call that, you know, mycelium network, right? Those little interconnected webs of fungi that connect your plants to one another, the healthier and greater yields you will see on your plants. So in general, you don't want to, you know, take everything out, put new soil down and start all over each season. You want to be able to maintain a healthy ecosystem within your soil. And that involves actually less work in, in some cases. So um, definitely plant your cool season veggies earlier in the year. Plant those tomatoes midway as it starts to get warmer and just let them go and just see how long they can last. I have a tomato plant on my roof right now growing hydroponically in my lettuce grow farm stand and it's still producing tomatoes. And will it produce as many tomatoes as the next one's going to produce in the summer? Probably not, but it's still hanging on and still producing and plants are way more resilient than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. If you just left your tomato plant and tried to keep it comfortable, would it, could it go on for years producing little bits or do they just really have a very short production cycle? That's a good question. I, you know, it's funny. I, when I went to Disney World a couple of years ago, I went through uh, this tour of the Epcot Growing Center and they have a, I think it was 20 year old tomato plant, which wow. is like, hundreds of feet long and wrapped around in all these crazy Mm. ways. So in theory, if cared for properly, they can last a long, long time. Um, But for the average home gardener who's not attending to it like these trained professionals, it's probably not going to last as long as you'd hope for, but definitely worth a shot. It also, again, depends on your, um, your zone. If you live in New York, you really, <laughs> you'd have to bring it inside a greenhouse. You'd have you, to bring yeah. it inside a greenhouse. Uh, and here, I know that a lot of the the Sacramento gardeners overwinter their uh, pepper plants, but even mm. then, they have um, they have tricks and tips and things to make sure that they survive a, a hard, an occasional hard frost or something like that, where you have to prune it a certain way and cover it with blankets and things like that. So it is a lot of work. Definitely. Okay. And, Helpful. and then I have a question about gardening without a yard. So if you have an, if you live in an apartment and you want to grow something on your windowsill, do you recommend a specific plant to begin with? Yes, absolutely. And for a while, I very much was an apartment farmer. And I, in my 620 square foot apartment in New York, I had 85 house plants and I was growing food as much as I could, at least on the windowsill. And you know, I, I at one point I had two tomato plants, which were eight feet tall, uh, until I realized once they were pr- putting out flowers, I was like, wait, I'm going to have to hand pollinate all of these because uh-huh. <laughs> unless I want to release insects into the apartment, which I don't think would have been a good decision, uh, I'm not going to get any fruit. And technically you could with little paintbrushes, but it was going to be way too much effort. But in general, I always recommend for people, if you don't have outdoor space, uh, either investing in some kind of small grow light. Uh, if you have a south-facing window, you can grow leafy greens, herbs like basil and uh, thyme, rosemary, you name it, you can grow it on your windowsill. I actually grew a lot of kale on my windowsill. Um, it grows really quickly. A lot of the, the lifespan for these leafy greens is 30 to 45 days under the right conditions. But microgreens are amazing, right? They're packed with nutrition. 
and you're going to harvest those every seven to 14 days. So there are plenty of things you can do to grow in a small space. And you also mentioned a lettuce grow stand. I have one as well, and I keep mine on the, I keep mine inside, which is mm. very helpful for winter, gar- winter growing here in Sacramento because um, the temperature is controlled and the lighting is controlled. Mm. And so Tony, I, can you explain what that is for for listeners that don't know? It is a it's a serious piece of equipment. <laughs> Actually, I would love I would love Nick to do it because I also saw other photos on your Instagram from uh, companies other than Lettuce Grow for vertical gardening. Can you talk a little bit about about that? Yeah. So so vertical gardening, uh, or in this case, we're talking hydroponics, meaning growing without soil. And it's basically this idea that, you know, the soil is going to provide those nutrients, but if you can add those nutrients back to the water and have some kind of reservoir that's pumping through the system, you can develop really healthy plants growing out of very small kind of seed capsules. And these capsules are made of cocoa coir or other kind of seed starting material, very spongy, um, and you can grow huge plants in these very small spaces uh, because you're just recycling the water through the system. And there's a lot of debate in the regenerative farm movement of whether or not, you know, this is as good as soil grown produce. Is it as good for the environment? Yes, you're saving water, but, you know, are you actually putting things back into the earth? So it can be, I don't want to call it controversial, but certainly an interesting topic. But the lettuce grow farm stand in particular is really cool because you can fit kind of 24 different plants on your farm stand from marigolds to uh, kale. I just grew a five pound cauliflower (laughs) on my lettuce grow, which is amazing. Um, So hydroponics is really efficient and can be automated very easily. And the more you can kind of automate those systems, the more the plants are uh, producing in my experience. And my my experience with it is that uh, I saw your beautiful cauliflower head and it immediately made me sad because I tried to grow mine in the ground and it was eaten by cabbage cabbage worms. And so (laughs) my experience with uh, growing in something like the lettuce grow farm stand is that it doesn't have as many um, insects that are destroying my harvests. Yes, the soil can be a breeding ground for pests, which can be a challenge. Uh, so being able to grow without soil is a huge positive. I mean, there's still other pests like crows and squirrels and you know, oh, yeah. chipmunks were my mortal enemy back home in New York. But uh, the lettuce grow certainly makes it easier. I want to take a moment to talk a little bit further about this cauliflower because you posted a video on Instagram, <laughs> which blew my mind where you, t- first of all, it's like the size of five of your heads. Like it's just huge. But you were like, hey, did you know you can actually eat the leaves of cauliflower and you show how to prepare it into these little like roll things that were, that looked amazing. Um, so that was cool. I would love for it. We'll link it in the show notes of the podcast if anyone wants to check that out on Instagram. I mean, your Instagram in general is just incredibly inspiring and awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Uh, yeah. But do you have what, like, what are your favorite garden life food hacks for people that maybe people haven't considered before something they could eat, things that are the easiest to grow? Maybe what can you grow that mm. 
where you can get the most food for the less for the least amount of time and money? <laughs> oh, there, there's there's so many options there, right? You know, one I would say growing something like cauliflower is so cool for, for two reasons. Number one, when you buy it at the store or at the farmer's market, it's almost always cut with the leaves. You don't get the leaves. No one knows you can eat them. People didn't even know cauliflower had that many leaves, right? <laughs> so it, it's cool to see other parts of the plants that we wouldn't traditionally eat because we're just not exposed to it ending up on our dinner plate. Um, number two, um, a lot of the, the produce that you can get, especially some of these specialty herbs, are all packaged in plastic. Um, and for me, as a vegan who's also as low waste and plastic free as I can, um, if I want to try and buy basil at the supermarket, not in the summer, I'm not going to be able to find it if it's not packaged in some kind of uh, single-use plastic there. So being able to grow your own herbs is fantastic. And I kid you not, the flavor differences are so apparent. And I, I think it's interesting because when you're growing your own food, you, you might think that it's you know flavor that's different, but it can also be freshness. Um, and that's something I don't think we think enough about when we're growing our own food because you know that food could be in transit for weeks at a time before you end up bringing it home and putting it in your fridge. Um, some of the other foods that I, I really love, cilantro has a major flavor difference um, when you're growing it uh, yourself versus getting it in the store. And then personally, like I love just growing anything in the brassica family like the cauliflower the uh, dinosaur kale is one of my favorites. And people throw away the stems. Don't throw away the stems. You can cook them up. Just I kind of try and steam them until they're kind of bright green. And then I'll throw them in my pestos. And it's a great way to cut down on your food waste and make use of a pretty big part of the plant that most people would just throw away or compost. Yeah. Same thing with broccoli stems. I threw those away for mm. so many years and you can just slice them up and put them in any stir fry, which is Del they're really delicious. <laughs> like almost as good as Absolutely. the head of broccoli. All right. All right. Well, well, thank you again, Nick, for coming on to the show. I know I've learned a lot and I can't wait to implement them into my garden. I'm I'm growing everything from seed this year. So I will I will keep you posted on how that goes. It's my first <laughs> year growing everything. And uh, I started, I actually am surrounded in my office right now with plants and plant lights and heat mats and all of the good things. I love it. I love it. Good luck. And let me know if you need any help. Thank you. I, I would like for you to just, before you go, tell people where they can find more of your tips. Perfect. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at FarmerNickNYC. And my website is also FarmerNickNYC.com. When are you, you going to change that to Farmer, Farmer Nick in, uh, in LA? LA. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a funny story behind that. There's actually a, a farmer, a dairy farmer, which is not ideal, but a dairy farmer nonetheless out in Washington who has Farmer Nick, just the regular Farmer Nick. And I've reached out and they're, they're playing hardball with me right now. But uh, okay. I, I really don't want to get rid of the NYC uh, just because I, I hope to one day be bi-coastal. Uh, during a non-pandemic time and be able to kind of, you know, have my, you know, two, two different areas, all my families from back home in New York. So we'll see, but I'm holding out. <laughs> all right. Well, we can't wait to see where you end up and thank you again. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so much. I am feeling really inspired by Farmer Nick to get my garden planted. Thanks so much to him for sharing his wealth of knowledge and experience. I know that I I just feel like 
Like I could always do better in the garden and to hear someone who has started from just a little tiny plot of land and has become an expert in his field, has (laughs) expert in his field, uh, has... really, really inspiring to me. (laughs) Yeah. I took a lot away from this episode. I'm so glad that we did it because I oscillate back and forth pretty much every other day between wanting to really go for it and gardening and wanting to completely throw my hands up and give up. And so to hear that you can do it, it's manageable, um, and that it is a learning curve, but it is so worth it in the end. It makes me feel ready to step into this in little tiny ways um, as the seasons come ahead of us. So thank you so much, Nick. And for all those listening, if you want some recipe ideas, of course, you, we have tons over at plantbasedonabudget.com and worldofvegan.com. We're always sharing new recipes. Tony and I are having a lot of fun recipe developing these days. Now that we're done writing our cookbook, we're fully focused on developing recipes for our site, but also our cookbook, the Friendly Vegan Cookbook. If you haven't checked it out already, it is available anywhere books are sold and it is packed with recipes that are basically your favorite foods made vegan. So all that bounty that you're pulling in from your garden or from the grocery store, you can put to work in the recipes in the Friendly Vegan Cookbook. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a beautiful day and we will see you in the next episode. Bye.